there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, without fail, listeners. All season long, Alex Bloomberg shared with you conversations with some pretty successful people from all walks of life. But they didn't just talk about their successes. They touched on failures too, and what they learned from both. Sometimes it is so difficult to know what to do, where to go, what next step to make in your career or in your life. And that's often where a mentor comes in. Someone that already has experienced their own successes and failures and could potentially help you navigate your decisions. Today, we're sharing with you an episode about mentorship from a new podcast you may have heard about, the Michelle Obama podcast. So what is it like to have Michelle Obama as your mentor? You're about to find out. Stay tuned to hear from Michelle Obama herself and her mentees, China Kristen and Yane, talk about the importance of mentorship and the ups and downs of professional life. Hi, everybody. I am Michelle Obama, and this is the Michelle Obama Podcast. On this episode, we are revisiting the mentor-mentee relationship, but this time we're looking at it from the other side. On a recent episode, I spoke with my dear friend and mentor, Valerie Jarrett, about how the best mentorship experiences grow and evolve over time. And in this episode, I want to talk with some people who have been important in my life. So I want to welcome three very special young women to our podcast today, Kristen Jones, China Clayton, and Yane Damtu. These three all started out working with me in various capacities in the White House, and they've all stayed in my life for years. Each of them has grown and matured and impressed me at every turn. While I like to say I've known them since they were babies, today I count them as true friends. And I know that I've learned as much or more from them as they have from me. So in this episode, I just want to talk about our relationships and also what's been going on in the world and what it's like to be Black women in this moment in history. So why don't you all start by introducing yourselves? I'm Kristen Jones, (laughs) and I think I met you back in like 2009 when I was an intern in the first White House class, which was pretty cool. And then I came back and Uh, started as your research associate in the East Wing and then spent like seven and a half years like as your assistant and kind of doing a lot of everything. (laughs) Hey, so I'm China Clayton, um, originally from Miami, Florida. Always got a rep, Florida. Always. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was actually an intern in the White House during fall 2010, Um, And from there, I went on to do something called Advance following my internship. And then I got a call from the First Lady's office um, to become her body person or trip director in 2015. And I've been with her ever since. Um, My name is Yanae Damtu. I'm your hairstylist. I got into the Obama world in 2009. But yeah, I've been a part of your life ever since. Started off uh, with your daughters primarily and your mom and then kind of made my way up the ranks and I'm, and, and I'm now with you. But you're not just with me because when you were 
not doing my hair, you're also a little baby baller yourself. I am. I also have a salon <laughs> that I opened in 2017. And in 2019, I launched my uh, business coaching program for hairstylist. So when I'm not with you, I'm always finding something else to do. Always, always. always. And you were how old when you came on to the- 21. Mm-hmm. I had just turned 21, I think, mm-hmm. like a few months prior. Yeah. Um, and I was scared. I didn't want to come at first. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about that? So when I got the opportunity to move to D.C. to work with you all, I'm a child of immigrants. My dad was not having it. He was like, oh, you're going to drop out of college? Well, you can't brush over that. You were the child of immigrants. Yes. Because that says a lot right there. Yeah. So I'm first generation Ethiopian American. And my parents came to this country, obviously, to provide a better life for us. And so traditionally... When, they, when anyone thinks of success and when they measure success to be, it's like you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Me saying that I wanted to drop out of college to do hair, it just wasn't accepted. It was just like, you're going to do what? No, no. That's just, that's not accepted. And, and even once I relocated and I took the position and I moved to D.C., I remember my dad didn't talk to me for three months. Mm-hmm. And it was my mom kind of like smoothing it over to be like, look, she's taking care of herself financially. Like, she's okay. She's fine. And there was this opportunity to come work for the first family, the first black family in the United States. It was like, how was I going to turn this down? Because there was this path that my parents created for me. And I and I understood that what they understood to be success was like very limited, right, by American culture, by African culture. So for me, it was just kind of like, I'm just going to be good at it, and I'm going to show you. Like, I could still mm. make something of myself if I don't go work in an office, you know? Well, each of you, you know, pretty much all of your roles, are, the, the paths you've taken are very unconventional. Because, Kristen, you were coming out of college. You yeah. worked for Teach for America. Yeah. Your parents are black, too. Yeah. Um, so the notion that you were going to intern— in an unpaid internship, because let's just make that clear, starting out in the White House is for free. So what did it take to convince your families or what was it in you that made you decide to take this leap? My mom actually was the one who pressured me into applying for the internship. She was really relentless about it. I mean, she just got, you guys know those emails that go around to like black people where there's like literally like 50,000 emails on it and Mm. it's like for scholarships and stuff. (laughs) That's how we found out about the White House internship. And so I applied um, and came and my parents were pretty supportive. And I think the biggest stretch for them has really been post White House. Um, so in many ways, your mom was thinking, okay, yeah. you know, my, my baby girl is going to be working with the president, yep. President Obama, the first lady. Yep. She's going to be a judge. Yeah, she's she's going to be a lawyer. This, this is going to be an over. Oh, you took a turn. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> I want to try to build something all the way from the ground up. And she's like, uh, that's not what you're supposed to do. People leave the White House and then you get a huge salary and you stay there. And like, But I, I have to say, like, it was my time at the White House, my time with you, our time traveling the world that really made me want to build something of my own. And so. China, what about you? You don't come from wealth and privilege. No, um, yeah, yeah. So we, I applied to the White House internship. I get accepted. Did advance for a few years. And at that point, I was at Disney. Because you had left. Right. Because, sorry. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. So, I had left doing advance in 2013. 
and began working at Disney for about two years. Um, and mm-hmm. then this, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity came about to be Mrs. Obama's body person. I was hesitant because I'm someone who really believes in stability. Mm. So in my mind, I'm like, why would I take that leap and potentially be out of a job in the next two years <laughs> versus staying at Disney and climbing the corporate ladder? So my mom explained that, you know, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm. And she was right. Mm. Mm. Yay for mom. I know. I always thank her. Thank her every day. Every day. We are raised to, um, especially in black families, because everybody here is black, to take the safe route. Go to college, get your education, get your degree, get a job with good benefits. But what was it in you guys, do you think, that led you to, to... get off those traditional paths and make a decision to do something a little more risky. What gave you the courage? I think I've always had that in me in some way. I was always fine kind of closing my eyes and jumping in the deep end. It was never like as thoughtful or meditative as maybe it should have been. I think even if we just look at like the past 10 to 11 years, I know that we've talked a lot about failure. Mm. And so I think... Even though I've had the bravery in me, I think being more and more comfortable with the idea of failure and Mm. being less terrified of that concept, um, that that has helped me be a little more mindful in my risk-taking, more present in my risk-taking. And I think that's helped me be, like, more successful in my Mm. risk-taking, too. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I talk a lot about not being afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the things when I talk to young people because that – is the thing we sort of breed into kids. It's like, you know, you've got to get straight A's. You have, There's a certain way to do everything. And a lot of parents try to shield their kids from failure because as a parent, you just don't want to see your kids go through that kind of pain. But failure is something that you do kind of have to get adjusted to um, because it's a natural part of life. You know, you don't do anything successful without a little stumble along the way. And so many people are trying to avoid the stumble at all, ever, that they never take the chance. And then they miss out on some really interesting opportunities. We've had conversations about this isolated world that we all live in, and we think that we have to go through everything independently. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, especially within like the last five to 10 years, Everything that I do, even if it's a risk, I know that I have a tribe and a community behind me, mm-hmm. right? So it's like even if I fail, there is somebody in my in my like communal orbit that will be like, I got you. And I do think that like watching you with your friends, the way you guys communicate, the way you guys link up. Like I, I often tell people when I'm with my friends outside of the White House world – And they're talking about their 20s. You know, Mm. it's like when they were all like clubs and like having a ball, we were at Camp David and I'm sitting around (laughs) a dinner table with you and your friends talking about childbirth and college tuition and all of these things, checking my phone like somebody text me. Um, But, you know, after eight years of that, I was, you know, I do think that I came into my 30s with a lot of wisdom, um, with a lot more insight than I think I would have had 
on who I want to be in the world and how I want to show up. And even though I'm still practicing that and there's still failures along the way, I do feel very supported by you, your friends, the kind of family that we've all created with each other out here. Because I don't know, there's something about the way I grew up in L.A. or my school where I just, mistakes, like, gave me anxiety. I Mm. even remember... Like, probably the first six months at the White House. Mm. Now, to be fair, I was, like, 24, (laughs) didn't talk to you, was offered a job at the White House. I was cocktail waitressing in L.A., so obviously my answer to the question was yes. (laughs) I will take any job at the White House. And I walked in, and they offered me the job to be your assistant. And I was like, have you guys asked her? Because she doesn't know me. And they're like, yes, we've asked her. Do you want to think about it? And I was like, does it come with any more money, like $100? And I remember Mel was like, we can maybe work something out. And I was like, I'll take it. But I remember, like, coming into your family, to me, you were this woman who was on TV, right? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't on the campaign. I didn't have these connection points with you. And I was... 24 at that point, 25, mm-hmm. running your life. Yeah, and and you definitely walked around the house the entire time with that look on your face, like, I'm going to be fired at yes. any moment. <laughs> Terror. Uh, and my husband used to say, whenever he see Kristen, he's like, what are you doing to her? She looks terrified. <laughs> right. She looks terrified and worried the whole time. You were in your head. Yeah, I was um, so in my head. Very much in your were, head. There was a lot in my head. Oh, yeah, you were working <laughs> it out. All, it was all over your face. It wasn't like you you had a poker face. It no, was just like, I do not. Have you a were poker on the face. verge of just terrified mm-hmm. the entire time. That was just a preview of the Michelle Obama podcast. The rest of the episode is available for free only on Spotify. Just search Spotify for the Michelle Obama podcast or go to Spotify.com slash the Michelle Obama podcast.